This episode is brought to you by Paramount Plus. Get in, loser! Mean Girls is now streaming on Paramount Plus. Join Katie Heron as she meets the plastics and Tina Fey's new twist on the modern classic. Get ready for more of the rumors, backstabbing, and jokes you loved from the original movie with some fetch surprises. Rated PG 13. Wear pink and head to ParamountPlus.com to try it free. Da, 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 da. You sound insane. You realize that? Yeah. The whole world got crazy. Another week here on the Mad About Movies podcast and another overly ambitious science fiction film for us to attempt to explain. Yeah, it's like clockwork these days, and uh, we're just trying to keep up the best we can. Welcome again to another week, like I said, of Mad About Movies. I'm Kent, your trusty host, as always, most of the time, uh, but joining me all the time is Brian and Richard. Hey, guys. Hello, sir. Hey. Good day to you both. How you guys doing? Just chugging just, along, just, man. Uh, was... re- you're still recovering from Fifty Shades Freed, Richard. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, uh, I, you know... Um, the fact that it's going to be over, that's what I meant by recovering. Well, the that, that and no watching more. it, I think... <laughs> I'm trying to remember what it what it is. What's the theater where you it kind of like blows air on you and stuff from the from the seat? I've never yeah, like the, not allowed to be in those bit. theaters. Uh, my parents <laughs> yeah, never was, let me in those. 4D kind of. Oh yeah, yeah, I know what you're talking about. But yeah, the uh, what is it? Smell a vision for Fifty Shades? Yeah. They offer that. What is it? D box. Oh, Have yeah. you ever seen yeah. the the uh, Dakota's? Dakota does not smell great. <laughs> She just, she doesn't. Her teeth look like her breath. Is that's dead. why. That's why she was showering in the social network. It's just like she like, it wasn't part of the scene. But there's like Dakota. Just all right. Your character's going to be showering. Justin Timberlake's going to be here asking you about Facebook. All right. Um, <laughs> well, uh, have you ever heard of those D box things? Have you guys tried those out in the theater? You know what I'm referring to. I do know what you're referring to, but I I don't know. You've I've never, never been to a theater them. with them. No, anything like that. I don't think so. I don't think so. The the theater that I go to while I'm at training camp uh, during the summer, which is every August, if you listen to the show, you know I'm I'm on remote pretty much for uh, three or four episodes in a row during the summer. And uh, so the theater I go to during that time, they do have the D-Box. And I remember during during camp uh, having to go see, by myself, mind you, it was a great time, uh, going to see on opening weekend, the Dark Tower. Oh, I remember that oh, experience. What a what a great film. But I uh, I recall a few moviegoers or patrons. I like to call them patrons because uh, it's a, a tradition unlike any other. And um, we like uh, I saw these people and they had to have paid over twenty dollars to sit in the uh, the D box experience for for the Dark Tower. I'm sure that was exhilarating. <laughs> Or it added to the uh, the thrilling experience that it already was, but I, I sat in the row kind of behind the D box. And so, what D box is? It's essentially like uh, a seat that moves during the movie, like the Six Flags ride. Remember they had that like the right stuff at Six Flags where you'd sit in there, yeah, yeah, make you feel like you're in a jet. Um, mm-hmm. It's essentially that, but they do it for the movie. I don't know what they do during dialogue scenes. Do they <laughs> just 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 kind of like? wobble or <laughs> vibrate during the scene i don't understand the appeal you can feel be, the dialogue jolted around in your seat during thanos's <laughs> final 
<laughs> attack in Infinity War. I don't, I don't, I'd rather be sitting still, but uh, that's the appeal. But no, I just reminded of Sounds that. Sounds awesome. Uh, for 50 Sounds Shades awesome. Freed. So if you did the 50 Shades Freed D-Box experience, please <laughs> uh, leave us a safe for work email at madaboutmoviespodcast <laughs> yeah, at gmail.com. Um, Gosh, just man, imagine. Lots to get to tonight. Uh, we have a guest joining us to talk Annihilation. Yeah. Yes, exciting times. Uh, we got weekly recommends. We got uh, some reboot slash sequel news to talk. But before mm. we do that, I think an uh, elephant in the room uh, is that Black Panther is totally dominating still at the box office. And it's <laughs> the topic of conversation still in the movie business and amongst the fans and everything like that. We realize that. Um, but we did a very long episode last week covering Black Panther. <laughs> and uh, I felt like we got it all out for the most part. But we will talk about that movie again here in the next few weeks when Avengers uh, talk ramps up again. But uh, $111 million last week domestically for uh, for Black Panther. Um, it's breaking. a record, isn't it? I think the it's second a, week record? Uh, there's... I think there's only been three other movies have a hundred million dollars the second weekend. I don't think it was. Uh, I think it was the, like the Mike, most. Obviously, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> like Mike, uh, yeah. Richie Rich starring Macaulay Culkin. <laughs> really odd, but uh, watched it was, that the other yeah. day. I watched Richie Rich the other day. Pretty weird. Uh, weird. It's the best banging. John Larroquette film. I love Richie. Love Richie Rich when I was a kid. So I'm I'm in. I'm all in. How does Richie it hold Rich. up? It is exactly as good as it was in 1993 or whatever. Better or worse than Spice World in 2018? (laughs) Better. Much significantly better. Significantly. I love 90s movies tropes, man. Just, (laughs) all right, you're the kid who likes food. (laughs) All right, you're the urban kid. All right, you're the tomboy girl. Bruce, 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 Bruce. God. You've got your own McDonald's? We need to do throwback uh, to Richie Rich one of these days. Man, I've probably seen that. 98 times in my life. Good times. But um, I'm there. Another 100 million racking up the total so far for Black Panther in week two, mind you, to $403 million. And that's not uh, not too it's bad. Impressive. For, for, it's uh, a lot of money. For Marvel. Uh, good to see something good go for <laughs> Marvel's way again. They really, um, really deserve a break there. Really, yeah. really need the money. Um, so. Second place, uh, last weekend, Game Night debuting with $17 million. I think we're going to do this in the next couple of weeks. We'll get to it. Um, getting yeah. good reviews, comedies are always in our wheelhouse, and so that conversation will be happening. And, I'm excited. Um, I'm excited to see that one. I like everyone involved with that movie, so I'm glad to see that it's uh, doing well. Do doing too. Well. I do, too. And uh, that's not a bad debut. Uh, yeah, I probably solid. if Black Panther wasn't out, it probably would have done twenty twenty five opening weekend if mm. it had been a normal normal weekend. Um, so third place, Brian, I'm going to ask you: Have you seen it with Coop Peter Rabbit? As he make no, God, no, no. I'm trying to stay away. Anything with James Corden, I'm trying to stay away from. <laughs> That's my new bit. I'm just going to start hating. Nobody owns well, that corner. Oh, so I'm yes, getting they in do, on it. man. There's a whole vice <laughs> section about anti James okay. Corden stuff. Seriously. All right. Well, I'm I'm yeah, I'm team anti James Corden. Then. He, uh, uh, no. it, you have to avoid literally all of culture, though. Unfortunately, yeah, if you avoid it's him, fine. So. That's okay. Coop, Coop loved good. the. Uh, I've had enough culture. 
Coop loved the little yachty uh, carpool karaoke, though. I mean, that was <laughs> your son, your four year old, just really yeah. into. No, I just took Coop with me to see Annihilation. He's a big fan of like <laughs> hard science fiction. Really, more than anything, it's just anything Natalie Portman is in, he's in on, especially right. her digital shorts. Short. Yeah, digital shorts, especially. She's he's uh, he's really in on those. Portman, so. Portman, 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 Portman. <laughs> so, how did he like Fifty Shades? Or no. say something <laughs> real nice about Jar Jar Binks. <laughs> Kent, have you seen the new one, the new Natalie rap that they brought yeah. back? Yeah, yes, I have. Yes. Yeah, it was great. The Jar Jar part is worth the whole funny experience. funniest thing they've done in five years. Nah, it's, nah. Because, it's because it's because Allen wrote it. And once again, mm-hmm. uh, yeah, just let's just rehash things from the past. That's SNL's <laughs> signature these days. They cannot, they can't have. It's physically impossible for them to have it an episode of SNL without a celebrity cameo slash former SNL cast member, aside from the host, mind you, showing up. They can't. It can't. It's it's impossible for it to happen. But that's a another conversation that we've had way too many times on the show so that brings me to annihilation fourth place 11 million the debut it seems to be on par with what they were projecting but not to say that it's uh breaking any records by any means and uh wow still in the top six jumanji welcome to the jungle <laughs> still the movie of 2017 crazy yes. it's crazy domestically it's made Three hundred eighty-seven million, which is still less than Black Panther. Jeez, it, it, it's how mind-blowing Black Panther is, and how much money it's going to make uh, at the end of the day domestically. So, wow, mm. um, still, still happening out there uh, before the Oscars. Usually, there's not a lot of conversation between the uh, the announcement of the awards and the awards which are taking place this weekend uh, and all that. But um, I think studios are starting to change their tune a little bit with maybe especially with the success of get out last year you know maybe they're looking at this window of these this february march window of we can really do some business here and launch some franchises and and take advantage of this kind of doldrum of of no movies coming out uh, that that seems to be different from the norm of the past couple of years you guys have any thoughts on uh thoughts on that yeah it seems like this the release uh calendar for 2018 is is weird because it's just like even today there was another uh Robin Hood's going to move from September to Thanksgiving and I believe Robin Hood had already moved at least once this year like it, it's kind of like chess pieces going all over the board um but it does seem like we're starting to see the everything s- I do <laughs> <laughs> That's Do what I'm hoping for this year. I really hope Taron Egerton sings it this time. No, uh, it's uh, Sam Smith. They're redoing it with yeah. Sam. Oh well. When, when they when they would though, right? If yeah. they thought of that, I'm less interested in that. Uh, yeah, it's it seems like maybe to your point, can't that like there's the studios are starting to say it it's better. Turns out to have a wide window in which to dominate than it is to be like the sixth place movie immediately it's weird i know it's strange that it took us you know like a hundred years to figure that out but it's it's a better idea to uh to get five or six weeks of solid take than just like well we had one good weekend and then uh black panther came along and and swallowed everything just destroyed everybody else and then we were gone it's spread it out guys find ways to find pockets in the release 
calendar where you can kind of sit and and own a couple weeks and and you're probably going to be better off so maybe that's maybe that's starting to to happen and maybe if we're lucky in five years then even like january and all of september will be decent for just like not even great movies but just i want to go to the theater you know that that'd be great that'd be fantastic yeah and i think it's the age-old saying of if it's good people will go see it and i think they're realizing hey we can put out a couple of good movies during this time and and get some good attention rather than saving the good movies for a three-week period in the in the fall or uh in the summer so Mm -hmm. spread the spread the wealth around a little bit um and uh it seems to be working so far okay so a few movie news items to hit um speaking of reboots slash sequels that i teased earlier um, Chris Tucker confirming Rush Hour 4, guys. Oh, no. Thoughts, Richard? I know you got hot takes on Rush Hour 4. Do you understand the words that are coming out of my mouth? I do, um, I do but I'm not interested. That, yeah. <laughs> not like interested. After that line, it gets uttered. What, what, what is it bringing to the table? Do it again, um, maybe? I don't know. Yeah. Who directs I there that? Was, I didn't know there was a Rush Hour 3. Oh, Ratner will from over... Um, like a from Thailand prison or Skype thing, yeah. yeah. Okay. <laughs> like that dude, that bro that did Girls Gone uh, Wild that like lives in he's on the land. No, it'll be a it'll be a Mick G affair. It'll be Mick G will bring back the uh, rush Mick hour. G. Gosh, with associate executive producer Guy Fieri uh, bringing it back. <laughs> How dare you? Don't besmirch his name. <laughs> no, that's a compliment. Executive producer. <laughs> Uh, yeah, man. yeah. Is that inevitable, I don't know how that or is works. that is it, do people people want that? I just don't feel like uh, Chris Tucker, Jackie Chan has really stayed super relevant up to this point. I don't hear a lot, and it's like they're on the Netflix rotation, and people are remembering how great Rush Hour was. I just, I just don't. I guess it's yeah. something that they could make, so that's why they're doing it. It's there you go. You, you hit the nail on the head there. Yeah, they we can do this. Well, I guess we should then. That's that kind of seems to be the uh the mode of operandus there. Well, hey that's, man, I mean that's it's crazy. I mean, if you think about um I, it's it's nuts that Jackie Chan, I mean obviously he's older and and than he was, but I mean China is so much more than it's, it's, it's the most important market now in film and in everything, really. And so, uh, cynically, I think doing this is probably a very good idea because it's a huge property over there. And now there's even more people and more more of an emphasis on art and culture that there wasn't 20 years ago. It's mm-hmm. um, a great point. Yeah. And so I think it's probably a smart thing to do. It would be smarter to have a younger, like, re- Kevin reboot Hart? it. With a, yeah, with Kevin Hart. But there's no... At least to America, I can't think of a young Jackie Chan. I'm sure there's stars in China that would be big, but mm-hmm. I think you know you kind of hedge and say, okay, we'll bring back, we'll bring back Jackie for for this, and who's who's huge, who's, who is a huge yeah. global star. So uh, I, this will make a ton of money in the new China and the new cinema landscape. But it's it's true. Meh. Seems to be a little bit it. of seems to be a little bit of nostalgia for Jackie Chan. Past couple of years, he was awarded the Lifetime Achievement Oscar, I think, couple last year, and uh, he also was in a very mildly successful movie called The Foreigner last year, which is kind yeah. of kind of sh- gave him a little reboot in the uh, the action mm-hmm. world. It was a John Wick kind of a uh, 
yeah. uh, Equalizer. I watched that. I saw that. Yeah. Yeah. It was strange. It was, a, I did not, it was not what I expected it to be mm-hmm. at all. I thought it was, I thought it was going to be what you said. I thought it was going to be like Taken or John Wick or something like that. Right. And it's, did you see it, Kent? I've not have, seen it yet, no. It's uh, it's about the uh, the IRA, pretty much. It's huh. it's Pierce Brosnan's movie, and Jackie Chan just sort of appears here and there. It's a very I I was very confused. I did not expect that from, you know, the marketing campaign that pushed Jackie Chan. It was he's in about twenty minutes of the movie. It's very strange. I don't understand, but you know, I saw it. I probably wouldn't have seen it if you just told me it's an IRA movie starring Pierce Brosnan. So I guess there's that. They got my three bucks at family video so you know what yeah, you gonna do that's funny uh i did watch oddly enough i watched jackie chan's first strike probably two weeks ago hadn't seen it since i was maybe nine or so and mm. uh fond memories man flashback to that it's so, like the ski sequences and that man just some some fun uh weird moments in my mind that it was uh, recalling but jackie chan's first strike side recommend for that one uh jackie chan's good stuff there's some good good nostalgic stuff with jackie chan but that's the thing it's all nostalgia with chris tucker i mean it, uh, i tried to watch chris tucker he did a netflix special i think last year uh stand up and it was not funny i, yeah, I really wanted really wanted to say man this guy's back i love chris tucker because i do like the guy really likable guy I uh, don't know if he has it anymore. He just loves sitting courtside at Sacramento Kings games and things like that. Like, good for him. You know, <laughs> do that life and and uh, keep being Chris Tucker. But um, I'm not very interested in this at all. And uh, don't think I've revisited Rush Hour since uh, its original run and have had no desire to. So if this I goes the well. the last time I saw him was on the bus with Coach Starks, Kent, in, like, New York. Chris Tucker? Eighth grade trip. No, so, the last time I saw Rush Hour. Oh, Rush Hour. Oh, I thought he was like, saw I have a very Chris vivid Tucker, memory like, through the window or something. 20 yeah. years ago coming up on? Yeah. <laughs> so uh, if this does well, you know, they're going to call Owen Wilson and be like, hey, uh, Shanghai Nights 2 <laughs> or 3 or whatever it is. Just bring back all the Jackie and uh, all the, uh, the early 90s um, franchises that we can. That's all. That's a... That's what we want in our in our life, right? Speaking of, that's what uh, we all need. That's <laughs> what we all need. Um, Paramount. Speaking of China, has dropped dropped from its release calendar. Transformers Six. Pour one out, guys. Oh, might, might get out of done. here! Yeah, yeah. yep. Oh. Uh, they're going forward with with Bumblebee, which mm-hmm. is filming now or just wrapped production uh, with uh, Haley Steinfeld, John Cena. And Bumblebee, so it's a spinoff of Transformers, some way, uh, by a different director. I think Michael Bay is involved in a production stamp, or I mean, a producer's role. Uh, but yeah, not at the helm in the director's chair. And the Transformers series, as we know it, is all but dead, other than this spinoff. And if that doesn't work, then they might be done for a while, a good while, until of course they reboot it someday, which they will. But man, probably with Michael Bay directing again, he just keeps coming back. Yeah, it's all because it's all because I bet on it in the, in the movie draft that it ended Transformers for good. It took one for the team, guys. No more Despicable <laughs> Me. No more Transformers. You're welcome. We still we still need that. Uh, we still need that Grown Ups Two episode. Bro. Yeah. Oh, it's happening. Oh, oh, ew, it's happening. I'm excited. <laughs> um, it. I mean, guess pour one out, but no, because it's the most offensive 
movie in the history of cinema that I said uh, the last night was the worst movie in the history of filmmaking. So let's end on a good note, guys. Good job. Good run. We did it. We completely destroyed movie making as we know it. Uh, any, but drunk any thoughts Merlin, on this? bro. Drunk Merlin. Come on. You didn't love Drunk Merlin. Who doesn't love Drunk Merlin? <laughs> I love the Galileo. It's my fantasy Ooh. football team name. So. <laughs> Strong. At least you're going out on top. Way to go, Trent. Exactly. Sanders. You took a very middling movie and turned it into like maybe the worst franchise of all time. Congratulations. Hey, it's, but should be said not to bring this up again. They did yep. make like $10 billion so along money. the way. So yeah. I get it, Paramount. Yeah. And Michael man, Bay is, has like... 18 monster machines in his house just just complete just every day he just can crush monster energy drinks left and right it's disappointing because sick i I mean in a way it is disappointing because i mean that first transformers movie it showed it's fine promise potential it's like wow this could be really fun there's some fun moments characters it works on the big screen it's got this big scale to it um it just went down the entirely wrong path and they drove themselves oh, yeah. into the ground. Yeah. I think they could be making a billion dollars each movie and do it forever if these movies were good. It's just they they're just bad decent. and they're just they yeah, they're just, just decent. Yeah. Everyone is worse than the one before it and they're just <laughs> driving it. They drove it into the ground. That's what they did. They <laughs> yeah. they could have just made a B movie every single time uh grades wise, a B movie and mm-hmm. every, everyone would have been fine and no one would have complained and been like, "Yeah, they're they're they make, you know, just like Fast and Furious. Yeah, they make a ton of money, but they're all decent and people have fun and no one really cares and it's just kind of fun you know instead of right. people viscerally hating it uh yeah hasbro can't be very excited about the way things turned out with that uh thanks michael bay yeah. for that uh driving mm-hmm. it to the ground but yeah man, poor one out it's not great but it, but it's over we're our long nightmare is is over for the for the foreseeable future anyway so that's good yeah i got one piece of news yeah kento um we I don't think we we did not talk about this broke after we recorded last week I believe so, um, Joss Whedon out on Batgirl and DC oh, yeah. slash Warner Brothers remains in incredible flux once again. Okay, uh, it, inform me on this. It could go one of two ways. One, uh, Joss saying, "Man, I got other opportunities. You know, other things I want to do." Or the other way of I got to get out of this thing right now because this is this ship is sinking yeah. fast. His um, official yeah. his official uh, like release or statement or whatever just said uh, I'm going to paraphrase because it's I don't been an honor to me. work with the great people at DC. <laughs> I've learned so much and I wish them the best, Joss Whedon. <laughs> yeah, pretty. I mean, he, what he said was I I started writing this and I I just I've worked on it and I realized that I don't have a story and if I don't have a story I don't feel like I should be the one to direct it and so I'm going to step away and you know which is number 1 good for him if you don't have something written then good for you for just saying you know what I'm I'm out on this but I have a hard time maybe I'm very cynical on it but I just have a hard time believing that there's not a great deal more to it just based on this place is a terrible place. This is just the worst place to work right now. And it's a terrible, uh, clearly the structure of, of the company is just, it's just in shambles. It's not working. And I'm going to get out of this before I have, uh, multiple Warner brothers, DC movies on my resume that, that may hinder me from, from doing other things. So he's, he's gone and I have no clue. I mean, I, Twitter was kind of like fielding people to, write uh a batgirl movie and uh, rightly so was looking for 
talented female writers to uh, and directors to to helm that project, and that's great. Um, but I just I would I would love for all of them to stay away, just because I just don't believe that it can be. I don't know. That, Wonder Woman is like that one beacon of hope within the entire universe, and that's Patty Jenkins and Gal Gadot. And so maybe that's maybe that's the road we go down. We try to get like Catherine Bigelow or something. I don't know, but it's. I, I would just right. say I, I would tell everybody stay away. Warner Brothers needs to shut. Down, they need to shut down the DC extended universe for like five to ten years and come back and try again later. Like let's just get some time away. And I know they got the Matt Reeves Batman movie, but even that, like, do we we you know is there any chance that affleck is going to be batman i i don't know he just they keep dragging this out to i i have no faith that anything is getting done properly there richard yeah no it's uh it seems more and more uh to be such a wb issue you know and 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 uh a management issue and a lack of infrastructure to control the properties rather than really a you know, a, a filmmaking issue. Um, you can't just throw money at these. It doesn't work. And it may work early, you know, when the excitement's bigger. And that, mm-hmm. that was their issue is they didn't listen when, when uh, these first came out, they made a lot of money. And, um, and, and so they just said, yeah, well, we're just going to stick this in our ears and not listen to these reviews because these people are stupid. And that works for a few movies, but there's diminishing returns after a while. And people that go and see them and they're like, that was really bad or that was just aggressive or whatever people thought. And then they stopped going after a while because they never adjusted, save for Wonder Woman where they, you know, kind of went a different route. So, yeah, I mean, I think I'm with Brian. I think it just needs to needs to go away and uh, or yeah, I mean. Or they got to reset. Write, they got to write a LeBron letter, yeah, and you know, and <laughs> say, "Hey, we screwed up, and we're gonna we're back in Cleveland now, and we've hired someone awesome to run this, and we're gonna start from scratch." And we really appreciate everyone uh, that's worked on this, and all the failures are on us and not on you. And uh, check us out in three and a half years when the first one of these hits, because we're gonna take yeah. our time and make it right. You know, that mm-hmm. to me, that would be the only way to do it. Who's somebody that they could put? at the in charge of this new say they do blow everything up right say they um they go on with wonder woman 2 but that's it that's the only first that's the only film that they go uh forward with from here on out mm. even though they're yeah. they're doing aquaman we know that but say they decide <laughs> okay after the ones we've committed to we're done who who could they bring in and say this is our guy this is our kevin feige this is our uh, kathleen kennedy right uh, that's going to sail the yeah. ship i mean they wanted. They sort of announced Christopher Nolan at the beginning of this, yeah. and yeah. he backed out after Man of Steel to do other things and to not be bogged down. Who could? Right. Who could restore the fanboys' faith in this? <laughs> That's the problem. Is like I, I can't think of any names because what they keep doing and what I would, what the names that I could come up with are the same that they could come up with. The problem, or or that they have, a, you know, a tried to come up with. The problem is you don't. When when uh, I guess it was Justice League, ba- uh, Batman Shane, our friend Batman Shane said, and this was a great point, was like you don't you don't want a director or a filmmaker in that role. You need some you need a producer running that whole department. That's what Kevin Feige is. That's what Kathleen Kennedy is. And you know, Chris, we we started with Chris Nolan, then we they shifted to Zack Snyder, and I 
I don't know if I can't remember if they ever actually announced Joss Whedon as like the the voice or the director basically of of what's going to happen for the next you know five films or whatever. But that it definitely seemed like that's what they wanted him to do, right? Was to be the Kevin Feige for the DC Extended Universe, and you. I just don't think that works. You need you need a, somebody with the voice who who comes at it from a producer's angle and can figure out how to. Part of it, honestly, is coming up with like the formula that works for these movies and putting that on screen. And I just I don't know that that's ever going to be Christopher Nolan or Joss Whedon or any, let alone that those guys or girls, if you wanted to do Bigelow or or say like I think it's really I think it would be a very easy idea to just say hey we're just gonna let Patty Jenkins be in charge of this. I don't know that she would be good at that because again it, you're coming at it from a, a filmmaker's standpoint instead of. What you really need is a is a, yeah. a strong, steady hand in the producer's role. What's Obama and, up to? Right? <laughs> yeah. Is this something sure. he'd be interested sure. in? <laughs> some someone with some like bureaucratic authority. Uh, right. Yeah. It has to have to yeah. be somebody with some experience, though. You know, somebody that's like, okay, guys, right. here's what you're doing wrong, and here's how we can fix it. I just don't know Harvey Weinstein. I mean, is he? <laughs> I mean, I mean I'm thinking. I'm thinking of people like <laughs> Amy Pascal. Yeah, uh, sure. you know, like the, yeah. the ex executives that are still doing good work producing movies, but aren't really tied down. The Frank Marshalls, yeah. you know, those people. That's um, what you're looking for. Yeah. yeah, and and honestly, the name is is probably somebody that we've never heard of, or that the maybe I don't know mass audiences haven't heard of because I'd never heard of Kevin Feige before Iron Man, right? And and that's I think is the case for ninety nine percent of the people that what? saw Iron Man. You didn't you read know? his blogs <laughs> or no, maybe think, Zanga, sir. Uh, I mean, I mean maybe they're so contracted up, but there's got to be some deputy of his, right? That's that's what you, you know. You do. go yes. with the move, yeah. like the well, we don't know who to hire. Who's the lead assistant on the Spurs? We'll just hire them. Yes, exactly. You know, that's like exactly that's that happens in sports yeah. all that's the what time. They tried to do with yeah. Joss. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. But he's a director, a director. right? Yeah. You, yeah. So you got to find someone who's like it's Matt Patricia, yeah. you know? <laughs> yeah. Whoever Kevin Feige's right hand man is, that's probably who you should be talking. You know what I mean? Yeah. That because at least that. he knows like at what right. it's stupid stuff, but it's like at what phases do we have meetings during production? Mm. When do we need to see a final draft of the script? Right. What you know? <laughs> what you know? Just like basic. Like <laughs> when do uh, we all take creatine shots? Well, yeah, it's at <laughs> ten and three. And- but it's like a, it's an operational gig. Uh, yeah. It's a managerial gig, um, no, and just basically mimic. You don't have to mimic the creative, but I think Marvel has shown, and I'm not a Marvel fan, but I, like I always say, I have no dog in this fight. I, I didn't read comic books as a kid. I read Animorphs, uh, <laughs> Ken Griffey Jr. biographies, like a man. But uh, but anyway, uh, you know the you you can do your own thing on the creative. But if you could mimic the operational, I think yes. the thing you yeah. that I noticed with Marvel is it's not really the 99s of the Black Panthers of the world, and I'm saying Rotten Tomato scores, but just like overall consensus of loved. It's the amount of films they have that they, they only, I think they only have one that's like kind of hated. And that's yeah. where operations is key. The batting average is very creative, high, yeah. Yeah, you can have all the creative you want, but operational managerial control, what that does is it raises the basement. And your, your ceiling's totally going to be done by your, your creative. But if you have mm-hmm. good management... It makes it like the worst movie we're going to make is going to be like a 58 on Rotten Tomatoes. Yeah. And 
be kind of mixed review. That's the bottom we can do because we know how to run these meetings, and that's why it's worth going and getting someone from Marvel. That's the impressive thing about Marvel. That's why it, it works for... And that, that's how you build a brand in the universe is with right. that way, that, that consistency. So that's why it works for Pixar, you know? So it works in the corporate mm-hmm. world for companies like yeah. Apple that can turn over their entire staff and still put out the cons- a consistent product. Uh, yeah. You're right. Yeah. It is a much he, more, it's more of a culture problem there than yeah. it is a... Then it is a talent problem. I think everybody knows that. And the people that are involved in the culture that got themselves into it, the Ben Afflecks of the world, the Joss Whedons, are like, got to get out of this. It's not for me. It's toxic. And um, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. man, they got to stop. And they've got to bring somebody in here who has some kind of original outlook on it. Maybe. And I wanted to ask Batman Shane this. Can they do Batgirl without an established Batman movie already out there? You know, this is what our Batman is now. Now here's Batgirl. Or do you start with Batgirl? Because doesn't Batgirl essentially look up to Batman and copy him? Or, you know, wasn't it to Alfred's niece or whatever? Uh, I think doesn't, doesn't Batman have to Schumacher exist? Verse. Doesn't, I mean, doesn't Batman have to exist for Batgirl to exist? I guess is my right. is my question to uh, Batman. Yeah. Canon, the canon of the, the whole thing. How would, mm-hmm. how would that work? So, man, always, always fun times. <laughs> At uh, good old WB and DC. Well, hey, let's hey right here throwing our name in the ring. Us three, we'll we'll ride this ship if you're listening. Let's do this. We got this. Yeah, Richard just doesn't want to help. No, I'm I'm good. Super handsy in the office too with with everyone. (laughs) That's true. Old, young. I'm handsy, so you don't want me. It's a very timely uh, comment too. No, I'm just right. saying, like, I don't want the job. <laughs> Purposely trying to get fired before I can get it. You could say, you could walk in and say four things and still do a better job than what they're doing now. Four random sentences, I will, and still probably like, get better advice than what. Are we sure? How how committed to the piss jar are we? Have we right. That right. Exactly. Sentences One like that? thing that could change I've the got entire an entire course. trilogy of ideas for the piss jar. <laughs> All right. Let's hear them. <laughs> I'll be, I'll be in my office. <laughs> Are we sure General Zod has to turn into a dinosaur? That's the hundred percent on that. Okay, just making sure. Just asking. Just asking. Throwing that out there. Um, wow, it would what? be great to have me just walking around the office, kind of eating, you know, just snacking on stuff, asking really <laughs> obvious common sense questions, and I'm very confused by everything. And then I'm like, ooh. Mm. My all my notes are like no no woods. I know there was way too many trees. <laughs> what makes me laugh so much about the Beavis thing and the and the, the piss jar is the screenplay was probably like camera <laughs> pans down Interior, on and, and then it pans down on all caps. Jar of piss. <laughs> so the prop guy is like looking at all the stuff I got to make for the scene. It's like, all right, jar of piss. And I can just picture him in the back, like mixing different colors to get the perfect yeah, color of pee. It, and can't, like, just, it can't actually be urine, I'm sure, because no, nah, it definitely is. Code. No, we, yeah, the we've guy established this before. It's definitely just, Zack Snyder's piss. Yeah. There's no question. Yeah. No, Zack Snyder's piss is too, way too thick. Like, yeah, they can't. No, it's it looks like, like, you can see protein particles. Yeah. It looks like sludge or slime or whatever from Ninja Turtles. <laughs> the ooze the ooze, ooze. yeah the ooze it's glowing it's like radioactive <laughs> you need to see a doctor it's like i'm cool have you seen my biceps i think i'm fine 
Okay. All right. That that about does it for uh, movie news, rumors, rumblings, banter. Piss um, yeah. Let's welcome in our guest and talk annihilation. We've sent in drones and teams of people, but nothing comes back. But something has. You're a biologist. You served in the military. If I knew what happened, I could save his life. The boundary's getting bigger. It's expanding. We're talking cities, states. You need to know what's inside. So do I. It's beautiful. All right. Welcome back to the show here today. We are joined by our guest, one of our wonderful, beautiful VIP members. They're all beautiful. Uh, all of them. If you, I, I mean, text, I text them all pics, and they all send them pics back, and they're all beautiful. And, every uh, single person, it's like you join and you get one. You just immediately. You're wondering why Patreon asked for your phone number. It's for me. Yeah. It, that's actually not <laughs> standard. I had them yeah. put that in, so then I yeah. just get you get a welcome and, message. And, yeah, like, and, oh. and your, I will say this: your your texts are uh, less sexual in nature than I expected, but uh, still. But I mean, heavily sexual, yeah, no, yeah, yeah. Still, quite, quite still, explicit, um, but explicit. better than weird better side than of what Kent and I get, at least. So yeah, just like what up? <laughs> you you listen to Ma'am right now? Cool. cool. <laughs> yeah, I remember that app. <laughs> no, welcome back, man. Welcome back to the show. Kyle, what's up, man? Not too much. Just enjoying some annihilation, you know. Nice, nice. Steamy. So Kyle's been with. Or, He's been yes. annihilated by his last appearance, which was Power Rangers. Yeah. <laughs> hey, oh, Power Rangers, man. So, so uh, you were with us around this time last year for Power Rangers, and then you're not, you're here now for for Annihilation. Um, I hope one of those movies is better than the other. So we'll see what your thoughts are on that. I'm sure we got your your answers to these questions last time around, but uh, you know we gain listeners every day. We go from. 12 listeners to like 14 listeners at least uh, once a month. So we may have new people that have just t- tuned in. So so our guest is Kyle. Kyle, I'm going to ask you two very important questions, and then we're going to get started on Annihilation Talk. Uh, have you seen Now You See Me? I have seen Now You See Me 1, 2, and already pre-bought the tickets for 3. Wow, look at that. That's a, that's a true fan. That's a true fan right there. Okay. Uh, do you have any thoughts you want to share on those those illustrious fine films, or uh, do you want me to head on into the next question? All I have to say is that it's probably Mark Ruffalo's sixteenth and seventeenth best performances <laughs> as an actor. I've done the research, and it checks out. All right, I like that. That's good. I'm, I'm a big fan of lists, as everyone knows. Okay, have you seen? This is question number two. Have you seen our favorite movie around here? Have you seen McGruber? Well, how else are you supposed to learn how to do the old celery trick? There we go. This is a veteran right here, ladies yeah, and gentlemen. Absolutely. He was probably going thick end oh. first for a long time. <laughs> it's counterintuitive, though. You don't want to go thin yeah, end. You, yeah, you exactly. It's going to slide right out. You don't want that. Never, ever say never, ever. All right, good. Well, Kyle, you are our guest, as you know, and everyone else knows at this point. So we want to let you start off. Uh, give me, if you have any background with this film or Alex Garland or, you know, whatever. And maybe what, what made you uh, choose Annihilation as your, uh, your, your film of choice to join us for? And then just kind of give us your briefly your, your general thoughts, and then we'll move on into the big stuff later. Sure thing. So I mainly chose this movie because of Alex Garland, big Alex Garland fan. I don't know what our, the fan club is called, but I would consider myself a member. 
Garland Knights. Um, Garland Knights. Okay, I'm slightly an amateur still. Um, he hasn't done a whole lot. This is his second directorial movie. Uh, really liked Ex Machina before this. And then the movie you see. You know, wrote, that's Latin for the Machina. <laughs> really? Yeah, a lot of people don't know that. Yeah. I'm going to have to take that down in my notes. Um, but I also like the movies he wrote before it, um, like Sunshine, Never Let Me Go, Dread. So I've been all over his career and wanting to see what he was going to do next. I have not read the book, so I had no background with what the plot was going to be loosely, but kind of just trusted what he was doing and then saw the cast come out and saw it was a pretty dynamite cast that mm-hmm. they had put together. So I uh, was really intrigued at what he was going to do with it. It was still in that kind of wheelhouse of sci-fi that he operates in. So I had fairly high expectations going in. Um, general thoughts-wise, I thought this was an interesting role for Natalie Portman because you really don't get to see her do anything that's like this, where she kind of gets to do her own thing, get to be a former military person, get to kind of have that action-y role. Um mm. The only thing that I can really think of that was comparable was maybe V for Vendetta was kind of close, but it really wasn't even that close when I was thinking about it. So I thought she was really good in that role. Um, the first thing I think you notice when you watch this movie is how beautiful it is. It's a beautiful visual mm-hmm. uh, movie when you see it, and it kind of takes you over and you get lost in the visuals sometimes. And I had a couple of moments where I had to refocus and say, okay, where am I at here? What's going on? Because some of the things were pretty overwhelming. Um, Mm. but long story short, uh, I loved it. I thought it hit me emotionally kind of like a Blade Runner 2049 or Arrival have kind of recently in that sci-fi genre. Mm. And, um, I, it hit every expectation I had and more. Sweet. Kent, what about you? Yeah, I'm with, uh, I'm with you. I'm big Alex Garland guy, ex machina, machina, whatever you want to. However, we want to say it. Latin for the um, machina. The machina. It's pronounced machina, but it's <laughs> the, Latin. Yeah, the machine. Um, was my number one of that year. Uh, it was. I was very high on that. Love the performances. Love the atmosphere. Love the script. Loved almost everything about that and uh, the ending, especially. So I had high, mm. high expectations for this. Uh, didn't know much about the property. Uh, the trailer does a very good job of a keeping it ambiguous but bad job of letting us know what this movie's about or <laughs> pitching yeah. it to anyone who doesn't know what annihilation is or follow alex garland's career very closely so uh yeah doesn't have that going for it for the general population but uh this movie definitely aims for that high brow uh internet fanboy go online and talk about theories of the ending uh crowd and I think uh, this movie has all of the elements that you want. And that um, I heard a lot of glowing reviews about this, that this movie was terrifying, yeah. that it blended horror and science fiction perfectly, that it was more intellectual than you would uh, anticipate it being. And um, I think we had probably indications that this wasn't going to be a great film, considering the buzz and everything and, and the projection, but uh, ended up being better well-received critically than uh, we had anticipated. But all that to say, um, this was a lot slower burn than I expected it to be, or wanted it to be. Uh, Once it starts going, uh, you know, the last, I would say, 20, 25 minutes, um, I was mesmerized. Loved loved the last 20, 25 minutes. Uh, The setup was way too drawn out, I thought. Uh, There were some issues with the pacing, 
it wasn't as scary as people had said. There was one sequence in particular that was pretty scary, but other than that, I felt like they could have done a lot more with the the, the scary unknown of the of the Shimmer itself. And uh, but overall, I think this movie is is working towards the ending and leading up to that. And uh, that's what the conversation today is going to be mainly about, I'm sure. And so for that, uh, in terms of a conversation starter, I think this is a good science fiction film. It's not the strongest that I've seen. I liked Arrival more. I liked Ex Machina more. Um, but uh, this definitely has a lot of questions still to be uh, explained uh, at, the end of the, at the end of the day. So for that mm. reason, I'm a fan. But I'm not a fan for other reasons. So a little bit conflicted. but. Um, still have a positive experience, I would say, overall of, uh, of the screening. So, Brian, what about mm. you? Yeah, so I read this book uh, maybe three or four years ago, and uh, I felt like it was a – I was very – I'll put it this way. I was very excited when they announced that this was going to be made into a movie and that Alex Garland was going to take over because I felt like the book is very dense and, uh, and, and good. Like, I, I don't know how to put that. I, I really – I liked I enjoyed the experience of reading it. It was a really interesting story, but there's two sequels and I haven't read them and I'm, you know, I'm a pretty avid reader. And so I feel like that says, that says a bit, it just, it, it was, it was a lot to, to kind of get through. And I'm not, I'm not a particularly visual reader. I have trouble, um, kind of visualizing the, the settings and the, uh, the, the, the landscapes and whatnot that, that authors, uh, describe i'm not i'm not particularly great at that and there's a lot of of that in this book so i was really excited to have it brought to the screen <clears throat> the movie has v- just if you're if you're wondering the movie has very little to do with the book it's kind of title and just oh, okay like the two-page treatment version basically it's it's a gotcha. lot it's a lot different and i you know i didn't remember just a whole lot about it i had to go back today and re after i came out of the movie and and uh, you know, search for differences between book and movie just to just to remind myself, and it's it's widely different. But but I think it goes hand in hand with it, and so I give Alex Gardner a lot of credit for that. And and to be fair, Jeff Vanderveer, the the author, has said the same thing. Just like I think he did a really good job of figuring out what to take from the book and and then just kind of making his own movie. But it, it is reminiscent almost of like World War Z a few years ago, where okay. that movie to book is basically like the title and that's about it and everything else is completely different so just in case you're wondering about that uh listeners and or other hosts but n- the movie itself um you know i didn't i didn't love ex machina i thought ex machina was a very very good movie that left me personally a little cold and unsettled and uh like it was the best episode of black mirror ever um <laughs> Yep, and and which is great. Like, there's nothing wrong with that whatsoever. But it did it for me personally. That's not my, I don't know, cup of tea or my personal favorite kind of film. And so it just kind of left. You're me an Earl Grey guy. Yeah, obviously, and chamomile. Um, but this. So I think this movie, if we're just comparing to Ex Machina, I think Ex Machina is definitely a better movie. I enjoyed this movie uh, much more. It was, I thought, uh, I, I thought Garland did a great job of unfolding the plot and the experience of being in the, the shimmer and in area X and, uh, and kind of gave, and then just let his actresses kind of do some of the heavy lifting. I, I don't know. I feel like this is a movie and, and I expected it from the trailer and clearly the studio expected this too, 
we saw all kinds of stuff about how they're not releasing it in in England, right? I think we saw that. Yeah, like they're not internationally, really... it's going to Netflix yeah. apparently. Yeah. Okay, that's what it was. yes. Yeah. And here, the trailer was really bad, and the advertising campaigns are very confusing. It, this is a it's a dense book that turned into a movie that I I don't think is particularly dense. Like I'm looking at some of the reviews on Rotten Tomatoes right now and just seeing some of the negatives are people who are kind of confused by it. And I didn't feel like it was I felt like that was one of the things that made it work was that Alex Garland kind of made it relatively simple. It's a I mean, it's a hard sci fi movie, but it's not I don't think it was overly complex or or convoluted. For me, and that that either means maybe the book helped me, or perhaps I'm dumb and I just was okay. I'll go with it, you know, which I'm I am apt to do. So maybe that's about me as much as anything. But uh, to your point, Kyle, dude, I thought it looked incredible. It's one of the better looking films we've seen over the last few years. Um, he, gosh, Garland has a, an incredible eye for the camera. I enjoyed all the cast and stuff. Can't you're right? There's some pacing stuff here and there. Um. But I kind of liked that it was two hours and we're done and we didn't have to spend uh, another 30 minutes kind of fleshing out what happens to these characters and whatnot. So I, I thought it was pretty cut and dry and uh, and, and work, it worked really well for me. So I, I enjoyed it a lot. It's, it's going to be, I mean, obviously it's very high on my list for this year because I've seen like four movies. But uh, this, I imagine come October, I'm still going to be pretty pretty high on this as compared to a lot of the other movies we've seen so um there's that's where i'm at uh richard what uh what are your general thoughts and and how do you feel about this uh this experience so far yeah it's a it's a it's a weird one i i mean there's so much to like about this movie first off yeah like you all have touched on the cinematography and just the overall aesthetic feel of it's really wonderful i thought especially in the shimmer and and it's kind of um you know, a really unique and magical thing. And there's parts of this movie that is that are, you know, terrifying. We'll get into the bear here in a little bit. Mm. Uh, dream bear or whatever. <laughs> Night bear. I'm calling him. Ayo. Yahtzee. Uh, yeah, so that was spooky. And there's some really kind of fun jump scenes in it. I just, the only, and I liked it. I mean, I'm going to give it a good grade. I just don't want to. The It did leave me a little bit cold, kind of like you did with uh, Ex Machina. Brian is mm. it just I guess it might have been just the kind of unsettlingness of un, that's not a word but the unsettling nature of the ending I think kind of just left me walking out of it like in a worse mood than I was probably an hour in when I was really enjoying it I hate when that happens you know it's like I dug that but now I'm like now I'm I'm walking out on sort of a sour note and I blame yeah. that on the book I was like I was like oh that's probably just you know Garwin did everything he could but the book just has that but now that I've listened to you, Brian, uh, for mm. the first time ever. <laughs> uh, I I learned that that's maybe not the case, and maybe th- this is narratively a little bit more uh, yeah. on Garland. But it, it it's one of those movies to me that's like really good, and until it's not, <laughs> not that mm. it's bad, but it's like it's it's uh, it's a little bit a little bit of a dip in the third act to me, whether it's mm. pacing or not. But every but there's everything's great in it. I mean, like I said, the look and feel, the actors are great. Um, there's not too many cringe moments in it. Um, it's it's smart enough, especially for for kind of a genre. It reminded me a lot. Had a lot of alien in it. The parts that are good yes, have a lot of alien yes. in it to me. Mm-hmm. Um, that kind of the the tone of it and the level of kind of unpredictability and actual stakes and scariness was very alien to me. And I like that because that's just not a movie that 
those kind of movies don't happen a lot. Um, so yeah, no, I, I, I enjoyed it on the whole, uh, but I don't. I don't think this will make my top ten of the year. These. These are always. The, I hate doing these movies. Like, it's not nothing really to gripe about, <laughs> except for a few nuanced things. But but hard to just lavish praise on too. So it's like these are the movie. These are the episodes I hate doing the most. But anyway, we'll throw it back mm-hmm. to you guys because I'm I'm sort of stammering around like an yeah. idiot more than even normal. <laughs> it seemed to me that. Um... You guys, you guys, uh, definitely complimentary more of the first half of the film and less of the second half. I'm less high on the first half and way more high on the second half. Uh, to me, once they, the expedition is explained, right? Once, uh, the shimmer is sort of explained and Natalie Portman, her character is in the shimmer and we're in the shimmer, right? Uh, I expected it, uh, or anticipated it to be more of a, like you said, uh, unknown adventure story like similar to predator or something like that where on the, they're on this in this crazy terrain and they don't know they have you know i thought the trope in the movie of no communication with the outside world how it scrambles all their signals or whatever i thought they were going to mm-hmm. really use that to like they were going to be in severe danger and have to get in contact but not be able to and all these different scenarios right uh, i expected it to be more of a physical adventure style movie like a jaws or something where they're making their way through this land you know ultimately to the lighthouse at the end a very simple kind of journey but it ended up being more of a philosophical exploration a journey it ended up being more of a melancholia type experience than a a predator type experience if that makes sense sure does does that what uh you expected I, I I really liked um, the explanation. I think you said it uh, earlier, Brian, is that they really kind of lay it out for you. I didn't feel like mm-hmm. this was very confusing at all uh, in, in its exposition. Uh, yeah. You know, the first scene of the movie, the opening is that kind of asteroid hitting the Earth and forming this canopy uh, area. So that's real. Okay, I believe it. An asteroid hit the Earth. Great. That's all mm-hmm. I need to know. Then once they get in there, like, why is everything so weird? And then they explain that with, oh, the DNA is refracting, it's causing everything in this yeah. area to basically blend with it, with each other. You know, humans, animals, whatever is in this area is one, essentially. Okay, great, mm-hmm. I buy that. That's all you really need to know about this movie. And then the rest, I think you have some opportunity to have some fun here. And they, and they have a scene with an alligator that is... Uh, a little bit too short, in my opinion. Alligator shark kind of thing. Yeah, yeah, alligator shark thing, right. which it grabs somebody. It's a really good jump scare when it grabs a girl, but that's really it. And then the scene's essentially over. They're dis- dissecting it or whatever. And then we get one more with like that uh, polar bear with no face, and that's really it until the end. Um, and that's more again philosophical in nature than uh, mm-hmm. physical. But um, so I guess you expect one thing and you get another not to say that that's a bad thing but i felt like that setting of the shimmer is such an opportunity for an alien world right an alien world within our own where you're discovering why things are the way they are and it just felt a little too talky during that time i guess or we're mm. we're spending a lot of time focusing on these girls backstories or why they're in the shimmer or what motivated them to be there rather than having fun in this environment or 
Like it's, it's just a different film than I experienced. Uh, it, I expected more Jurassic Park, if that makes sense. And sure. then, during that time, like we're in real danger, and we got to find a way out. Uh, and uh, didn't get the, didn't get much of that. But that's a small complaint. Um, I I ended up thinking a lot more than I expected to in this. But uh, mm, that's, I guess that's yeah. what I'm saying. Yeah, I expect. I guess I expected that going in because that's kind of how the book is. And even though plot wise yeah. and development, there's there's very similar very little similarity that that was more of the book was like uh, what's the best mm, almost like an apocalypse now kind of thing like they're they're going native in some ways like you're you're inside the shimmer and you're going crazy i guess and trying to figure out not just uh like where you are but but (laughs) like almost philosophically who you are and whatnot so i i guess i i expected that and i feel like that's probably what drew Alex Garland to the project as much as anything is the idea to the the opportunity to explore that more so than just he's you know I mean he's only directed two movies but I feel like that's pretty safe to say about him is he's a little more interested in in the psychology and the the philosophy of it than he is necessarily just the uh like the I don't know the, the sci-fi experience does that make sense that's that. That's actually surprising to hear you say that because I see Alex Garland as an old school uh, thriller science fiction writer, like a Alfred Hitchcock or an M Night Shyamalan, somebody that just really yes, throws back I, on just like I'm going to do a, a sci fi story and there's going to be a crazy twist and that's going to be my I, deal. You know, I agree with that, but I think that's I think I would say the same thing about those people as well like i think that alfred hitchcock was much as much interested in the in psychologically messing with you and messing with his characters than he was in uh i I, what i'm saying i agree with you i think that he is a an old school kind of throwback sci-fi thriller type director which is what excites me about and writer too for that matter that's what excites me about his uh you know, whatever future projects he has coming up, but that would be, is, is that stuff. But I think that that goes hand in the, that element goes hand in hand with old school sci-fi slash, you know, thriller sort of, sort of films. There are origin, there are um, certain directors that you get the sense of that when they think about a project, uh, get pitched an idea, come up with an idea that they're only thinking about the last five minutes. Right. How do I build to this ending that I know is going to work if we do it right? Uh, Alex Garland is a perfect example of that with Sunshine, with Ex Machina, with Dread, with Annihilation. Uh, I, I really think you can win, you can make or break a movie in the last five minutes. And he goes out sure. on these limbs, man. On the end, this is another one. And we'll talk more about the end when we get to spoilers because the ending that he wrote and the ending that's in the film are, are different. So there might have been a, a debate between him and the studio on what that should be, but that's a, that's a, a f- something we can talk about here in a few seconds when we hit spoilers, but I want to give our guest a little bit more, uh, of a chance to give his thoughts on the movie. Kyle, what did you, what did you really enjoy about the movie besides, uh, the setting, Natalie Portman's performance, anything like that? Uh, any, anything stick out to you, uh, on the, on the positive end? Uh, well, something I always like in my sci-fi is that when the audience is on the same wavelength as the characters in terms of, what they know and we're kind of following them along the whole way. Um, Mm. It never felt like there was any jumps in logic of, all right, now all of the women know this one thing and they now know all the secrets to the shimmer. I enjoyed that there was this aura of mystery the whole time. And it was pretty obvious to me, at least that 
Alex Garland was not really interested in answering a lot of questions of the why, the how, or what's really going on here. It was, let's, I'm going to let the audience kind of see what's going on here, let them interpret it a lot of different ways. And I'm sure the four of us are going to have a lot of different feelings about the ending and what it kind of meant to us and what we thought it was. So I think that's a sign of a really effective horror movie. And then kind of what you guys were saying too. Um, oh, I think the expectation was it was going to be more of a physical horror movie for people that weren't familiar with the um, property before that it was going to be all these different creatures that they'd have to interact with. But I did enjoy that pivot towards the end that really turned it into something special for me that it did become more of a introspective look at more human nature and another thing that Garland likes to talk about is what it means to be human kind of thing. So Mm -hmm. um, all of those kind of principles together was just a really enjoyable experience for me. Yeah. What did you guys think about the scene setter of her in the facility being interviewed, interrogated about what happened Uh, for some people that can be seen as a negative because it, the stakes are, uh, I don't want to go into spoilers now, but the stakes, let's say the stakes are reduced by knowing that she ends up being alive through this, right? At least alive enough to explain what happened at the end, right? Um, so mm. are the stakes reduced in the fact that you know she makes it through this because she's explaining her way, explaining what happened? Um, now the twist comes into that, which we'll talk about, but. I found myself at the beginning of the movie th- saying, okay, well, I know she survives this because she's the one telling the story. So that's a, I don't mm. know if that's a necessary thing. And apparently that wasn't in the original screenplay as well. Maybe that's a studio thing of they wanted her to be recounting the story. Um, but I didn't necessarily think it worked for me uh, until the end. And I was like, oh, now I know why they did that because it makes a, yeah. it makes a lot more sense. And it adds another layer of, messing with you and messing with the audience mm-hmm. and making you think yeah. then it's like, well, why it is just, it almost feels like a waste of time uh, in a sense, but, sure. uh, but it's a good trick to play. Um, yeah. Yeah. I thought it was effective. It reminded me a lot of, of Blade Runner, uh, j- not just in like the, the narration of it. Cause that's basically what it is. But the, the cause I'd heard that too. Can't that, that originally that wasn't part of the movie and that they added that in afterwards, which is exactly what happened with, with Blade Runner was Ridley Scott made this cut and no one could understand what was happening. And so they, you know, they added in the, the Harrison Ford voiceover and stuff. Um, so I thought it was a little better than that, I guess, but it, it, it did not distract me from the, uh, the, what I was enjoying from the film I'll say. And, and I, I, I think as much as we might want to say, and, and we might be right in saying that the movie is better without those sequences perhaps i think that if you if you get rid of those uh those shots and those scenes they're they're, those are kind of base points it's like anchor points i guess like you're tied into those and without them i think there's a really good chance that the movie becomes very difficult to to stick with and understand and comprehend what all is going on i think i think those those points really serve as much as anything serve to like reground the audience and let them kind of see uh like maybe answer a couple of questions here and there like you're right Kyle is that I don't think that the main point of of this movie for Alex Carlin is to answer questions about it but 
I think without those sequences, you start to get to a place where it does become too confusing, too convoluted, or or maybe I'm just, you know, maybe I'm dumb, but it might have for me, I think, if I'm not able to. maybe And maybe that's a concession to an attempt to find uh, something resembling a wider audience, which this I don't think was ever going to, to find no matter what. But I, I didn't mind them, and I, I thought it probably helped my grasp of what was going on throughout the you know the shimmer scenes so it would be a little derivative like arrival or something to have the movie start with natalie being this normal girl this professor john hopkins right uh you know teaching about cells doing her whole thing uh having a romantic scene with oscar isaac that they show them in bed together and then you know the government knocks on our door we need your help with something you know yeah and that whole thing happening or, or your husband something happened with your husband that would have felt a little bit derivative so they did go a, a different route but again it may maybe would have helped me be in the shoes of the protagonist a little bit better if we didn't have that uh interrogation stuff going on it may, maybe there would have been more mystery involved of she doesn't know what she's getting herself into and neither do we and we're just on for the ride. I really liked that about Arrival, how it's all just like, I have no idea what's going on here. And uh, yeah. the only thing you know is what uh, Lawrence Fishburne is telling uh, Amy Adams. So that really works um, for that film. But I love the environment, man. I think the, the thing that yeah. worked best for me was the plants that were in the shapes of humans, like walking together, you know, that eerie kind of ghost-like shape of the humans. I really liked that. Um, the deer with the plants growing out of them was kind of cool felt a little avatar yeah. in a way and not a very good mm-hmm. way um maybe i mean but the stuff at the end is so good i don't want to get spoilers now but uh, we need to hit spoilers here in about two minutes or we're gonna run out of time in order to fully break down the end but um yeah i think it's the environment is great but the creature design goes from good to really good at the end of the movie, if I could say that. Mm-hmm. But um yeah. I was uh I was impressed overall. I love the the way he shoots a film. I love his muted blacks. Like he he pulls down the black and the color saturation a little bit, gives that little that muted quality, that matte finish, if you will, uh to the film. And I love Garland's uh sensibility. And I think he's got a lot of talent for writing, man. This is a guy that yeah. I mean him and him and Danny Boyle together with Twenty Eight Days Later, I don't think a lot enough people realize what a risk that movie was you know at the time and 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 making that and i'm surprised annihilation even got made let's talk about that because (laughs) this is super obscure and it's alex garland and i guess they were banking on the fact that everyone liked ex machina to to kind of be the selling point and to get natalie portman involved right and Mm oscar isaac coming off another star wars and they had a little bit of star power there but this this isn't a typical big studio movie how did this get made in a in obviously a good mm-hmm. way? Yeah, that's you know that's something that studios have got to figure out, and 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 quite honestly, it's something that that filmmakers have got to figure out too. Is how we want movies like this to exist. We want them to get. I don't need. I don't need this movie to get. Uh, you know, like twelve. You know, four thousand screens. That's not necessary, and it wouldn't have done particularly well on that number of screens but it got 2000 and that's a that's an achievement that's something you know um it's but it also made 11 million dollars it's not really getting released overseas seems like uh, it cost 40 to make it 
I don't know. I want these movies to exist. We've got forty million is probably around the right amount of money that you can spend on on a movie like this and hope to not lose much. Like I don't know at at eleven million on its opening weekend. I don't know that it's gonna be profitable, but hopefully you're not gonna just get crushed on on it. And I I don't know. Like I get the idea that the money. I don't know. Every once in a while we get angry email or tweet or whatever complaining that we talked about how much money that a movie made and that's not the point. The art is the point. But the point is if if movies like this come out and they don't make money or worse, if they lose a lot of money, then they don't get made the next time around. And so I don't know how this got a wide release. Maybe what studio was this? Maybe they wanted to be in the uh this is paramount so maybe they want to be in the the alex garland business which is great that's that's a great idea um for us i don't know that it's a great idea for like mass audiences does that make sense like it's that's what i mean it's not a big studio to me this is like it it, it seems a Lionsgate would make this or somebody like that or or a24 not not paramount i don't know it's this is this is where i feel like this is the place where more than anywhere else where we need to the studios and the, the entire industry needs to to adjust to figure out what movies can get made what how many theaters we need to put them in uh what the budget on these sorts of things is blah 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 blah, blah. like the, this is the area where we really need to like there's the most room for i don't know if growth is the right word but kind of like a streamlining to figure it out because i i we again we want these movies to exist if Annihilation next week, if it makes $4 million and it's sitting at 15 or 16 mil after two weeks and, and about to drop out of theaters, then, you know, then this movie doesn't get made next time around, this type of movie. And that's, that's, the, that's the problem is, is finding the right, how much, what, what's our budget for this kind of movie? How many screens are we going to put it in? How, what kind of advertising push are we going to put behind it? And, and, on down the list because eventually I'm afraid what happens is all these types of movies, they either completely don't get made or they are all on Netflix and then they're part of the Netflix brand, which we're going to talk about mute later this week. And you know, and so that's a, that's a concern. So it, it, it concerns me that Paramount really pulled the plug on this, especially overseas and just said their audience and basically said audiences are not smart enough to, to see this movie and to and to sit through it and and enjoy it and I don't know if that's true or not but I I do know that that's concerning for the next time around that whoever whether it's Alex uh, Garland or, or or you know somebody like him wants to make uh a, you know a, this kind of like highbrow science fiction I it's 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 not it's not great and that's a very long winded way to say I'm not I'm not enthused about how uh what this looks like when it comes out and it makes 11 mil which doesn't again is like i did not expect it to make very much money i wonder what the studio felt about it when they greenlit this movie to begin with yeah you you wonder if the 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 strategy should be let these movies come out in in semi uh limited release maybe film festival something like that build some positive word maybe build a little bit more of a buzz and then put it out. Um, I think 11 million is a win for them at the end of the day. I think you can still 
sell this thing and to Netflix and, and make your money. I hope so. It's a yeah, I hope they see movie. it that way. Yeah, think, that's uh, yeah. that's the thing. I hope the st- I hope Paramount sees that this way. I hope that when they greenlit this movie, they said to themselves, "Hey, if this movie makes uh, twelve million bucks, it's opening weekend. We'll be thrilled with that." You know, I, I but I I don't know. I don't know how what those kind of conversations are like. Exactly, exactly. So, spoilers, spoilers time, spoilers now. So it's time for spoilers. If you haven't seen Annihilation, go see it and come back and join us. Or spoilers. So, um, something that I felt a little bit obvious uh, was in the in terms of the direction was how he kept going back to the glasses of water, right? The reflection through the glasses of water between the people and the hands and all that. Um, the connections with the cells and duplicating cells. I didn't find most of that stuff. The the metaphor for what was going to happen or the foreshadowing for what was going to happen to be that um hidden in the movie i guess it was i don't i don't know if that's a good thing that i understood that immediately or if it, if it should have been more gracefully done um that's mm-hmm. beside the point um but the entire thing is so her husband natalie portman's husband oscar isaac that we come to know in the first the movie uh Something could be up with him, right? He was different. He was sick when she got back. She didn't know why uh, everything was like that. Well, she ends up finding out why when she comes across the video camera in the uh, shimmer inside of the lighthouse. And for me, this is where the movie, I was like super into it at this point. I mean, I think the dialogue completely stops up, up until then, up until, unless it's what we're hearing on the video camera, right? The score takes over, which is fantastic. And we really just get uh, some of the best physical choreography acting that I've seen in a long time. Just, just uh, it almost felt like Fantasia or something. You're just watching mm-hmm. something poetic and magical take place on the screen. And for the last 20 minutes, I felt that uh, I was completely mesmerized by the last sequence, the reveal of the double, the reveal of the um, her going in down into the hole and the blood going into the <laughs> whatever it's called the little orb thing you know and that whole mm. all the visuals there it felt like you know the ending of the fountain or something crazy it's just like what is going on it's just totally trippy and then we get the alien in the sequence with her and the double i thought i thought the creature design on the doppelganger alien was stunning i was blown away by that just got chills when i saw it you know it was just so everything i wanted it to be and what what an alien creature should be or look like, in my opinion, you know? And mm-hmm. um, the way it moved, the way it mimicked her movement, the way she became a victim of her own self, essentially, you know? The, all the metaphor there is the self-destruction aspect of this movie that they hammer home a lot, uh, the, mm-hmm. the, the theme of self-destruction and how it's inevitable, and and uh, humans essentially brought it into this world, you know, into into that world of the Shimmer. Um, but man, that last sequence, I can't say enough good things about that. And, you know, I said I was bored through the movie, but um, I alluded to earlier, the last five minutes really can make or break a movie. And in my opinion, the ending <laughs> made this movie. And I was uh, I was just uh, so happy with how, how it ended. Um, I wish it could have ended a little more ambiguous. We'll talk about that. But in terms of that whole sequence, the doppelganger fight and... 
and that. Uh, what did you guys think? Were you rolling your eyes, or were you like me and were just like, wow, these are what this... It reminded me, I mean, it was like Kubrick or something, you know? It reminded me of the final sequence of 2001, where it's just... Uh, the visuals and audio are just are just taking over at that point, and uh, and that's that that's that's cinematic. That's that's movie. So, what did you guys think, Brian? Yeah, I loved it. I yeah. thought it was really well done, and it worked. It worked very well, uh, and and was a little bit terrifying, but also kind of awestruck at the same time, which is which was great. Uh, Richard, what did you think on that? Yeah, no, it was fine. I mean, it it wasn't. Uh, I didn't. I don't know. I. Uh, I wasn't that take. I mean, the design was great, but as a plot, it it wasn't super plot point. It wasn't super interesting to me. Um, but I mean, it, it logically made sense. Can't sense. Can't like you were talking about the beginning with everything. Mm. I did do the Jurassic Park trick where they at least respected our intelligence enough to explain things just enough. Um, so I lo- I loved all that, but it didn't really like uh, floor me um, in terms of the the philosophy or anything behind it. Kyle, what about you? What do you think? Um, I was totally blown away by that sequence um and i'm not normally good at this in movies but i was able to see at least one interpretation for me was how that scene can be interpreted as someone's battle with mental illness or depression which all of those women were kind of suffering from some form of that was what they made a point of and that kind of expositiony scene when they were paddling um to kind of establish that but the idea that any kind of mental illness you can kind of see it in yourself and the battle against yourself and then when the duplicate has Natalie Portman's character pressed up against the wall, there's that kind of yeah. suffocating feeling that people yeah. talk about. The way that was shot just, was so good. The way he pressed the, the close-up of the camera to her face when she's being pressed against that wall. It was just like, wow, the claustrophobia there. I yeah. love that. And there's, a, there's another kind of theory that I've seen float around like about the, um, the personas we create like online and in public. How those can kind of there's like a lot of uh, interesting allegorical things you can pull from this um, that are certainly worth uh, discussing and, and reading about and everything. It's a very thought provoking, um, ambitious film in in that regard for sure. Yeah. No, Dust. I, I thought. So, yeah. Yeah. I, I was just going to say, um, but I thought it was interesting, no matter kind of how you read it. The end result was pretty much killing whatever it is, and that can be very morbid if you think of it in a human sense. But just your sense of survival of what you think the best thing to do is annihilation, bringing it back to um, the movie itself. So I just thought that was so well done. Like you're saying that last 20, 25 minutes with the limited to no dialogue was uh, sensational. It was man still thinking about it makes, makes me want to see the movie again, just so I can go back and watch that. But the real reason I want to go back and watch it again is there is a twist at the end, of course, right? Um, so what essentially happens is she's fighting with her own doppelganger, right? One that's at first completely alien, but over the course of the sequence turns more and more into Lena or Natalie Portman's character and, uh, essentially becoming her new version of herself or her clone or her mirrored version. Right. Um, so Natalie Portman learns of this when she watches the tape and learns that, oh my God, that wasn't my husband. That was actually maybe his double. Uh, And this sad reality creeps in. And so then the audience is thinking, uh, when are they going to switch roles, right? The entire, how many times have we seen this done? And then just the past year, two or three times, right? The uh, the Alien Covenant, 
right? Life, right? Mm, At the end. Yeah. Um, yeah. The uh, the old switcheroo, right? Um, <laughs> I thought it was coming. I didn't know if it would or not. I thought the execution of it was sly. Um, there's still a question. Essentially, uh, they they both make it out of the shimmer of the husband and wife, Natalie and Oscar. But um, the only reason they do is because people think that uh, it's their doppelganger versions, right? That their real mm-hmm. versions were left behind or destructed, uh, and these doppelganger versions are now living on and essentially will create the new Shimmer if, in fact, that, uh, that happens. So did you guys see that coming? Uh, to me, I saw it coming, but I didn't essentially see it coming the way it did. Oh, and um, there's some people that think that they never switched at all, you know, that there's that that, that was her... Her, uh, the real Natalie Portman and not her doppelganger, which I don't buy into. I thought it was pretty obvious that yeah. they uh, they switched, um, or they switch roles. And in Alex Garland's original screenplay, uh, he has a direct line in the screenplay that says, uh, "I'm going to read the line so that I don't uh, that I don't butcher it." It says. <laughs> Uh, quote, there is no clear indication as to which Lena lived and which Lena died, unquote. <laughs> so I think the studio mm-hmm. went back in there. It's like, we need to put a little something maybe that hints that it's the the Lena that we think it is and not uh, not completely mm-hmm. ambiguous. I wish it would have been left more in the open, but I love that trick, That's that trope. And if it's done correctly, I think it's very effective. Um, I kind of saw it coming, but I still thought it was it was effective at the end of the day that uh, there was some kind of switcheroo there that we didn't quite catch. So I'm excited to go back and, and rewind and find where the switcheroo was. I think it was somewhere when they were laying down and they got passed out between the bomb and all that. So uh, what do you guys think? Um, what did you think of the, the ending or the twist, if you want to call it that? I, th- I You know, I thought it was fine. I mean, it, it, it was fine for me, but just a little bit. Um, by the book in terms of what you expect for a sci-fi movie and this was kind of an out there experience in terms of a sci-fi movie so I was kind of expecting a little more so it just left me a little bit cold but it's obviously very well executed Um, I just didn't find it to be particularly original it seemed like kind of just walking out of the um, putting us in this world and then we we emerge from it I don't know to me it was just a little bit a little bit in the the box but but a very effective use of of said box Kyle what about you well, um, what you were talking about earlier with how they set the movie up with Natalie Portman's interrogation scenes, that sets you up with that it might not be a reliable narrator uh, who's geez. telling the story. It's completely fake. It, that's what it means. It's like it's it might piss the audience off a little bit, to be honest, to learn that at the end. It's like, well, so all that was just to mislead us, essentially, <laughs> to, mis- the, to make the twist work better. And I think as that device, it works really well. And uh, it does. I didn't see that at all, that that was the double the whole time in the interrogation room. Brian, what were you going to say? Yeah, no, I thought it was pretty predictable. I, I I, don't know. Again, it may be the book have given me a little inside knowledge, but I, I felt like it was pretty obvious that at least Oscar Isaac and probably Natalie Portman were, were not who they said they were. Uh, from the outset, but, but I think I'm kind of on Richard's side. It was... Uh, it was pretty predictable. It wasn't very original, but it was very effective in its usage of that idea and that I, I, I don't know what necessarily want to call it a trope, but that the concept 
um, was they did a very good he, he did a very good job with it once that was the decision to, to move forward. But I wasn't I, I can't say that I was surprised or shocked by the twist that seemed like uh, it seemed like that shot had been called fairly early on in the in the movie to me. It's I think it's less about the fact that she doesn't get out and more about the fact that the human race doesn't know that their the doppelgangers got out, right? That they're essentially going to start this entire new what whatever's to come, right? That they think it's over but in fact right. it's only just begun. I, I love that mm-hmm. uh the indication of more to come. Especially mm-hmm. with a movie mm-hmm. like Life last year, where it's like, wow, the, oh, we really only started with this thing. I, and I like the endings like that, that more look to future events rather than resolve the events uh, previously. So, man, lots to talk about here. Lots of themes here with self-destruction and the army itself. And to talk about the uh, political leanings of the movie and what it says about all that. And the fact that it's set in the American South and it's in all female cast who are each struggling with individual issues of their own. And there's a lot um, that he put in here. So it is one of those movies that's meant to stimulate its audience and to cause conversation. And, and for that reason, I think it uh, it perfectly um, accomplishes its goal, but any closing thoughts, things I didn't hit here, we do have to hit a weekly recommend here. So um, don't want to go too much further, but um, yeah. No, that's all I got. I, I think it looked great. The creature design was really cool. Uh, I can't remember. I think it was you, Kent, that said you kind of would have liked to spend more time kind of with the world building. And I I agree with that. I wish they would have shown a little more. I don't know that I would have wanted more time uh, figuring it out. Does that make sense? Like, the right. creature stuff is great. Like, that bear scene was terrifying and was so well done from just a straight horror movie standpoint. I feel like there's uh, like more the stuff that could cool. more stuff that could go weird in there, right? Like, okay, you enter the yeah. you enter the setting, it's like, oh wow, the plants are crazy. And so that was like their main right. thing that this thing's offering the entire time. Yeah, but look how crazy the plant life is. I I feel like there's more like what if their eyeballs fell out of their sockets or something, you know, something crazy happens to these people in there other than just there's a crazy bear or oh my gosh, look at that deer. Um like a total the laws of physics don't apply in there is what I was more looking for. The laws of nature, the laws of what we know as reality doesn't apply there um, rather than just, wow, this is weird. It's like we're in Alice in Wonderland all of a sudden. Um, yeah, sure. maybe that's what they're wanting to explore with these sequels go, that, didn't, that didn't come out, right. or, you know? I think if you go too far down that path, it becomes it becomes avatar it becomes like pandora on avatar and i don't that's not i don't know that that's necessarily really like the point of the movie so it i would have liked to have seen more but i thought it was for at the same time that may have distracted from uh what was really going on throughout but uh but that's just that's just me but but unobtainium <laughs> no unobtainium so it's that's a plus that's a plus all right. Anybody have anything else? Guest Richard, nothing. Nope. I'm good. I think I'm good. All right. Let's hit grades. Right. It's going to be an A minus for me. A minus. Really good. I don't know that it's the masterpiece that some people are are claiming it to be, but but who knows? That's it. It, it does seem like a movie that 
that five years down the line after you've seen it a couple more times and have maybe a little more uh, time for it to kind of sit with you that it might be thought of a little higher for me at least. But, but for the, for the moment, I thought it was a really good movie um, that, that wasn't quite, wasn't quite great except in its ridiculous visuals, which were, were spot on across the board. So a minus for me, Uh, Richard, how about you? Yeah, I'm going to go just slightly, slightly below uh, and go B plus for me. Not quite an A for me, but a, but a strong movie. Definitely, definitely worth, definitely I would, something I would recommend to, to people that have an interest in sci-fi, but uh, not quite an A for me. A little bit of a miss on a few things. Kyle, what about you, my friend? Uh, for me, it's an A plus. I absolutely nice. loved it. It was everything that I wanted, like I said before. And um, when you get a guy like Alex Garland, who... Uh, despite what seems like some studio pressure, still got to make the movie that he wanted, and you could see all of his DNA, no pun intended with the movie, but kind of all over the place and doing exactly um, what he wants to do, so that's going to be an A-plus for me. Yeah, I think it's uh, it's not quite a, not quite the masterpiece level of Ex Machina, in my opinion. Um, I think it has some strong uh, rewatchability. I think it has uh, timeless nature to it that it is going to lend itself to going back and uh, and maybe putting this in the context of his filmography, Alex Garland's filmography. Um, to me, it's an A minus. A few things that I did mention earlier that I wanted to see more of that could have been fleshed out a little bit better. Um, didn't quite have the snap and the the pacing of Ex Machina in terms of uh, how well that movie flowed. Um, so I noticed some things there. So that's where it gets a, a few points off for me. But that ending is is going to make me coming back, and uh, the visuals and everything um, exceeded my expectation um, on that level. So that's why it stays an A, and that's why I'm going to revisit it multiple times in the future and figure out what the heck's going on with that ending and uh, pinpoint where things went awry. So excited about that, and uh, man. I, that's just what I like, man. We talked Cloverfield for like an hour a couple weeks ago, right? I just like the, the yeah. conversation that it lends to. Uh, I love the theories. I love all the speculation. If you have your own thoughts on Annihilation and what the ending means, what the beginning means, what all of it means, please feel free to reach out at Mad About Movies on Twitter or shoot us an email. We would love to carry on the conversation. But let's move on and hit a recommend, guys. Recommends. How about Richard Barton? Uh, I've got a new show on Netflix. Uh, I love food, and uh, there's a new show on Netflix. Uh, David Chang does with a few other people uh, called Ugly Delicious, and it's a great uh, food show and a little bit of a travel show, but mostly food. It's a really unique kind of with an edge uh, style show. So I'm cheating on my beloved Bay Guy Fieri. Fieri. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, watching Ugly Delicious and, and really, really loving it. I think it's one of the best shows Netflix has had in quite some time. I saw Sweet. the, uh, I guess the um, thumbnail to it, and it was just like crap on a plate. <laughs> That's what's called Ugly Delicious. Like it looks bad, but it tastes good. Is that the, is that the pitch there? Uh, no, it's just I don't really know. I think it's more their attitude is ugly. They're like ugly Americans, but the food is all beautiful and stunning. The first episode's all about pizza. Second episode's all about tacos. Two things that I wholeheartedly endorse. I'm actually vegetarian right now for Lent, so it was kind of torturous to watch. Um, 
but uh, but definitely definitely uh, salivatingly good. Wow, salivatingly good. Put that on the poster. Absolutely. That's I put. I just have posters that say just that with no context. Yeah. Okay. That's a good one. What about you, Brian? I'm going to recommend a TV show that uh, I've been a huge fan of from the outset, but I have been, it's been my binge of, of choice, like my background show when I'm winding down at the end of the night or writing or whatever. Uh, over the last few weeks, Brooklyn Nine-Nine is on Hulu, so I've been watching all that. I'm in the middle of season three right now. I believe there are five seasons, uh, and it's is kind of on the bubble for renewal next this coming uh, fall, I guess. So who knows? This may be this may be the end of it. But it's hilarious. It's incredibly well written. It's a Mike Schur show, so that's Parks and Rec and uh, the Good Place. And he understands my particular uh, taste in comedy. I think as well, if not better than than anybody. And it's also in syndication now too, which is cool. So maybe there's a chance that it. Get, I'm, I'm hoping that that will help it get picked up for a sixth season. Character development is great. All the care, all the actors and actresses are really funny, and uh, they do just really absurd stuff. And it, it it's kind of it feels like the role that that Andy Samberg was was made to play. It's 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 perfect. But uh, but Andre Brower is is otherworldly. It's kind of uh, it's like a Ron Swanson to uh, Leslie Nope situation. It's it's he's so good, and it's a really really funny show that I think I had underrated how quickly it finds its groove and, and gets really funny. Like it's from maybe episode five or six in the first season on, which is really hard to do for, for a network TV sitcom to find its groove that quickly. And it, and it does. And it's, it never, it never, uh, valleys after that peak. It's mm-hmm. really, really funny throughout from, from there, from there on. And so, so check it out. If you, if you have not done so before, uh, it's all on Hulu and, uh, and it's on, it's taken the place of like, one or two big bang theories a day on TBS. So throw that in. Oh, it's like, praise the Lord. Getting there. So it's, yeah, we're, 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 getting we're, there. we're on the path guys. We're going to have to go refer to your big, big bang theory anthology DVD collection when they, <laughs> yeah, exactly. Gosh, I mean, exactly. What, a, what a time, so, man. What? A so time. No, it's, it's only on T now. Big bang theory is only on TBS like 12 times a day instead of uh, 13 or 14. But, but we're making progress. We're slowly, slowly getting there. But it's great. You guys should, if you haven't, if you guys haven't seen it, please check it out or get uh, caught up with it. But the listeners, especially, get out there and and, uh, and check out Brooklyn Nine Nine. Yeah, I've uh, I've seen a lot of episodes. I'm not not necessarily in order or anything like that. Um, really enjoy it. It's a fun one. Yeah, have it on the background. It's a good. Yeah. You know, watch it uh while you're having your morning coffee before work kind of a show and uh love it and hope it gets renewed i didn't know it was on the bubble i thought it was obviously working and they were just going to keep it for the foreseeable future didn't know it was yeah i thought everybody liked it it's never done great ratings wise but neither did the office or parks or anything really because the ratings are terrible and stupid and such but um but Mike sure, you know, he has good play, so he's not really super involved with Brooklyn Nine Nine at all anymore. And I think he just got another pilot picked up for yeah. the fall. I mean, so. He has that Shea Serrano one too. Yeah, yeah. So he's he's like turning into the uh showrunner de jour. I mean, it's like every it seems like his name is being thrown out there constantly, which is hilarious to think about that Moe's from the <laughs> office is like the most powerful man in, in TV. He has the rights to uh Infinite Jest too. 
Oh, sweet. sweet. He's had those it. since college, and Regis is his father-in-law. So he's got it all going for him. Amazing. Amazing. So just definitely check that out. Kyle, what's your, uh, what's your weekly recommend, man? Uh, my weekly recommend is a documentary that came out last year called The Work. Um, it took place or takes place in Folsom State Prison in California. And the premise is essentially there is a group of civilians who volunteer to attend a week-long group therapy session with the prisoners. And uh, it's one of the more human and raw things you'll see as people try to relate to people they don't didn't think they could on both sides. And um, it was something that I didn't have a lot of expectations for going in. It was kind of a random thing I saw on Amazon and uh, gave it a watch. And it's a really affecting um, kind of human masterpiece, I thought. Awesome. I am going to recommend a documentary as well. Uh, this is one I'd seen a couple of years ago. I uh, revisited it this past week and uh, really enjoyed it. Uh, Hitchcock Truffaut. It is uh, essentially a conversation between Francois Truffaut uh, mm-hmm. and uh, the great Alfred Hitchcock. Uh, basically, Francois Truffaut was obsessed with Alfred Hitchcock growing up and as he was making movies and back in his time he was writing letters to alfred hitchcock saying i love your work i'm a french filmmaker you know i want to come talk to you and hitchcock you know they started up this pen pal relationship and they ended up meeting and having great conversations together which were recorded in a lot of instances and it's just about the art of making movies and and there's a book that uh it's based on of course, but um, just some of the best advice, just how movies are made, what audiences look for, how to really make suspense work, uh, how to make endings work, things like that. They're just kind of riffing off each other and sharing advice on what they like about movies, and it's really a, a fun time, educational time, and a good look at those two guys. So Hitchcock Truffaut is a good documentary and a, a book, companion book, if you want to read that, Francois Truffaut's book, Hitchcock Truffaut. But uh, there is a documentary that kind of covers that total stuff if you would rather do that than read. Um, but both get my recommend. And um, yeah, great documentary. It won Best Documentary at the Denver Film Festival, by the way. Fun fact. Mm. Hitchcock Truffaut. Check it out. Okay. This has been a fun conversation. And um, maybe the last alex garland conversation we'll have for a while um but hopefully not the last thank you so much for coming on uh brian where can we find you on the internet you can find me on the twitter at bgill12 you can find my writing at madaboutmoviespodcast.com and the madaboutmovies podcast newsletter richard i can't get in touch with you on the internet Mm -hmm. as i had hoped Mm-hmm. Uh, where where might I find you? Well, uh, I'm only on Tor browsers now uh, mm. because of the content of my social media. <laughs> um, no, you can find me at, on all social media at Richard Barden. Um, hit me up any of those places, and uh, you can find me on the Bad About Movies podcast newsletter, which have we have some stuff coming post Oscars next week. And uh, we've got a VIP newsletter full of links and briefings and goodness that we do for you VIPs out there uh, of the world. So that's, that's a reason to sign up in and of itself. Uh, Kyle, man, uh, I want to, I want to, I, I sense a bond between us 
I want to I want to grow that bond even further. So where can I find you online? I'm on all of the social medias at Kyle McNevin. So uh, you can hit me up there for my thoughts. Thanks for coming on, man. You you were great as per usual. You're two for two, batting thousand. So uh, hopefully you got to go back to something terrible though. You, you were going to alternate. You know, you you did you did Power Rangers, then this. So next time I want I want your choice to be something truly truly horrific. Okay, like Power Rangers. <laughs> yeah, I'm just waiting on the Power Rangers sequel. I'm booked for that. <laughs> okay, good, 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 cool. He's you you hear that? He's throwing down the gauntlet. Kent, Perfect. where can I find you online? <laughs> find me at Kent Garrison. On Twitter, Instagram, Snapchat, and at KentGarrison.com. Hit subscribe on iTunes. If you like what you hear, you want to hear more episodes. Maybe some throwback conversations on some older movies. Maybe uh, us talking about our favorite flavors of Tootsie Pops. You know? Those types of things. Mm, Hilarious, fun banter. That was the best three hours we ever did. It was. And it's only available (laughs) in the Mad About Movies VIP. Check that out. MadAboutMoviesPodcast.com slash VIP. Support yourself. Support the show, and everybody wins. Next week, we will return here to uh, to discuss Game Night, I believe. Yeah? Something uh, well, like that? And uh, in the VIP yeah. this week, we're talking about Mute, I believe, and In Bruges coming up. So, oh. lots of fun mm. times ahead. Um, so, thank you for joining us, and we'll see you. Belgium. Next time. In Bruges, in Belgium. Bye. Play hey, baby, I hear the blues are calling tossed salads and scrambled eggs. And maybe I seem a bit confused. Yeah, maybe, but I got you pegged. <laughs> but I don't know what to do with those tossed salads and scrambled eggs. They're calling again. Scrambled eggs all over my face. They're making me ya ya The salads and scrambled eggs They're calling again